When have you regretted settling for a quick fix? That's where we're picking up. Okay, page 93. Distinct in character. That's what we are. Our character should be different from the character of any other individual who do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this study is about to teach us. We are distinct in character. So when have you regretted settling for a quick fix? You know something needed to be fixed, and the person said, man, you know, this is going to take this, and this is going to take that, and, uh, and then uh, you said, well, what, what's the quickest thing you can do? Yeah. All right? The car. Uh, yeah, you settle for a quick fix, and then the car breaks down right afterwards. <laughs> all right? Quick fixes don't work. Okay? <coughs> and we've all been there. You know, we act, a person says, you got a job that needs to be done. You, the first thing you are, how much is it going to cost? And if it costs a lot, they say, well, what, what alternatives do I have? And the person will give you a quick fix alternative. But you got to stay away from those quick fixes because sometimes they cost you more than the cost that you would initially pay in the long run. You end up spending twice, three times, four times more for the quick fixes. And so we've all had those experiences in our lives when we regretted the quick fix, right? All right, uh, Bible Meets Life, page 94. And this, we're looking at uh, an introduction into the topics of anger and conflict uh, in this study, which is going to tell us what kind of character we have in relation to those two areas. Okay, someone read, uh, read that, please. resolving conflict. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. And that's the kind of character that we're talking about here in this, in this study. So what is, let's look at what the Bible has to say. Okay. Anger and conflict can often knock people off track big time in today's world. And we've seen it happen over and over and over again. And we hear about the violence that's going on. And a lot of the violence that's going on is attributed to anger. A person gets angry and they don't know how to control their anger and they lash out with an object or a missile or whatever and somebody ends up seriously hurt or even worse, dead. And we see that happening over and over and over in our society. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. Someone read verses 21 and 22, please. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder but whoever murders will be subject to judgment. And I tell you, every 
one who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to his subject to the Sanhedrin. Whoever says to his moron, 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 will be subject to hellfire. Okay, now notice we have two definitions there for those two words that were mentioned, fool and moron. You know, we, we don't yet have word moron too much in our society. We hear fool a lot, right? Moron is used more in the, in the Western culture in, in America when, they, when a person acts in a certain way, they call them a moron. The same means the same as a fool. So we have two words there. Uh, fool, this word comes from the Aramaic term raka. Uh, and this Insult refers to an idiot or empty-headed person, meaning someone mentally inapt. Okay, we often say the person got something wrong upstairs. All right, or as I said, the is elevated and go all the way up. All right, and then moron. This word derives from the Greek term moros, and is primarily translated as fool in some variation or related form of that word. So both words mean the same thing. Okay? Moron, fool, they both mean the same thing. Now in Matthew chapter 20, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 17 to 21, Jesus declared that his intention was not to destroy or to do away or abolish the law. And that's what they were thinking that he came to do because some of the teachings that he was teaching wasn't what they were accustomed to hearing. And, uh, and so they were saying that he came to destroy the law, but he said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then it was 21 to 48, he demonstrated what that fulfillment looks like with respect to six commandments from the Mosaic law. Each example is introduced with the same form of. It says, you have heard that it was said to, your, to our ancestors. And so the traditional teaching was followed by Jesus' own explanation, which reveals the true intention of the teaching. Jesus introduced these corrected interpretations with, but I tell you. In other words, you say, you have heard, but I tell you. It's the way he taught. And in so doing so, Jesus claimed an authority that belongs to God alone. And very often in the scripture, we would hear, we would see the expression, God said, or the Lord said. Uh, and Jesus was using that same terminology, that same frame of terminology, uh, when he taught uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, let's look at the second question. What is your initial reaction to these verses? To these verses? Or another way to put it, how do we know that our anger is acceptable or unacceptable? Anybody? Okay, I mean like Jesus got angry, didn't he? They didn't have anything. They showed us. Every show is unacceptable. What does the Bible say about anger? Say 
Does it say we shouldn't be angry? Be angry, but don't sin. So the Bible says it's okay to be angry. As long as you don't let that anger cause you to commit an act that is sinful to God. Okay? So it's no, it's no problem being angry. It's how you control that anger. Alright, so we, we can, there's no, there's no problem being angry. When we hear a person doing something that is contrary to God's word, we get angry. You know, when I, I, that's why I can't listen to those religious programs on the radio because some of the things that they're teaching really make me angry. You know, I can't listen to them. You know, I saw something on Facebook the other day and, and that kind of stirred up my anger because people keep doing it. You know, but it's not scripturally sound. Okay, when you talk about the book of Revelation, people say Revelations. It's not Revelations. <laughs> it's Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, that makes me angry because it tells me that the person is not paying attention to what the scripture teaches. When a person talks about the fruits of the Spirit, there's no such thing. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches the fruit of the Spirit. All nine characteristics that are described in Galatians 5 speak of the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits. See, and so things like those, those are the things that make me angry. Okay, because it tells me how ignorant people are of the Scriptures. They don't take the time to study the Scriptures so that they'll know what the Scripture teaches. And so it's okay to be angry, and this is one of the things that made Jesus angry with the, with the religious leaders, because they were supposed to know the law, but they weren't teaching the law. They weren't practicing it, yes. You're saying that it's okay to be angry verse 22 says, who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Yes. So I don't want to, I don't want to be subject to judgment. Well, you, 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 you're you, angry but you don't act that anger out in a way that it, will, that it impacts your brother negatively. Okay? It's okay to be angry. Okay? In, in terms, huh? But if you're angry to the extent of your brother, to the extent that it bothers you, what do you do about it? You confront them, right? You correct them, right? And there's another part of the scripture that says, if you see your brother going off a cliff, are you going to stand and watch him go over the cliff? Are you going to go to a system, right? So whatever that brother or sister does to make you angry, then it's your responsibility as a believer to go and help that brother see the error of their ways and correct them. If it make you angry enough to get angry, <laughs> then you need to do something about it, right? <laughs> yeah, the way the person behaves. Yeah, the person's behavior. Okay. Okay, any others? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think I that basically, in most circumstances, what you have to take into consideration is look at the level of the education or the mentality of the individual before you come out. <laughs> True. You have to have control of what you're going to say to this particular person. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to speak to someone who doesn't have the understanding, then you're going to become like them. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that is today how I would go about it, or it has to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. But inside you, you know, you are under control with your own emotions. That's right. <laughs> That's right, there's no such thing as a man upstairs. Okay. Okay, let's look at the passages on uh, page 96. Yeah, go ahead, read. Does verse 22 make you uncomfortable? Me too. <laughs> Jesus took a law the people knew well and expanded it to a different level. The original commandment was a prohibition against taking someone's life. See Exodus 20:13. That's easy enough to grasp. But Jesus wasn't content with the physical act of birth. The deeper issue is the anger we feel in our hearts. Furthermore, Jesus helps us seeing that anger isn't something that happens to us. It's a choice we make. We might not be able to control the circumstances around us, but it's ultimately our choice whether or not we respond to those circumstances with anger. It's not always wrong to be angry. At times, Jesus himself became righteously angry. For example, he became angry when the religious leaders failed to show compassion for a man with a withered hand. See Mark 3, 1 to 5. Later, Jesus became so enraged at the mistreatment of people seeking to worship that he turned over the money changers' tables and ran them out of his father's house. John 2, 13 to 16. A certain kind of anger is good, right, and justified. We feel the righteous anger when we, feel, when we see injustice in the world. Whenever we feel righteous indignation because others are mistreated, we are only justified in our anger. We are good and right in doing something constructive with that anger. But that assumes that our hearts align with God's heart. Most of the time, though, that's not the case. We get angry at the slow-moving traffic, or the child who has to be told to clean up his toys for the thousandth time. This isn't righteous anger. <laughs> Let me ask the really hard question. Why do we get angry? If we push, this, push past the circumstances, we'll discover the true reason we get angry is because we feel our rights have been violated. I should be treated better. I deserve more. The truth is, our anger stems from a deeply held sense of entitlement that, when crossed, makes us really, really mad. In other words, our anger is a reflection of our commitment to ourselves. Okay, now notice the last part, the last part of that says, asking the hard question, why do we really get angry? If we push past the circumstances, we discover that the true reason is what? We get angry because our rights have been violated. Okay, they did me wrong, they offended me. I have my rights and they violated my rights. I should be treated better, I deserve more. The truth is our anger stems from a deeply held sense of entitlement that when crossed really makes us vex. That's what we say in our society, eh? vexation. Really, really mad. In other words, our anger is a reflection of our commitment to ourselves. You cross me, and you're going to see what you get. 
Okay, verses 21 22. Okay, verse 21 and 22 introduce topics of anger and conflict, as we saw, right? In verses 23 and 24, Jesus offered some helpful solutions for dealing with anger and resolving the conflict in a godly way. Not in an ungodly way, but in a godly way. So we get answers. We see the wrong way of doing it, and then he tells us, okay, this is how you do it the right way. But there's an exercise on that page, page 97. Anybody do that? Nobody did it, right? <laughs> you got to pick up these books after class now. All right, let's look at it. Do you have an anger problem? Use the following assessment to evaluate how quickly and how completely you give in to anger. How long does it take you to feel angry during a difficult or offensive situation? Hours? Or seconds. Okay? Some people are short of patience, so it takes seconds. Okay? Some people are sort of, you know, long winded, so it takes hours. Okay, that's your answer, that's for you to answer. How long does it take you to get angry? Does it take hours? You let it brew and brew and brew like the coffee? And then you explode? Or just you do it right away? Right away. Right away. Okay. See, the longer it brew, the worse it gets, the worse the reaction gets. Okay, how often in a typical month do you feel something close to rage? <laughs> Zero times, more than five times. How many times? In between. You can, yeah, you can vote in between too. Okay, you could vote right down the middle, like halfway. Okay, the other question. When was the last time you deeply regretted actions taken or words spoken in anger? Years ago? Days ago? When was the last time? What about minutes ago? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good one, minutes ago. All right. That's recent. Okay, when was the last time a close friend or family member confessed to feeling afraid of you? Years ago? Days ago? Someone say days ago? Days ago. Okay, so you got so angry that they were scared of you. They wanted to get away from you. Okay, so that's a good assessment there in terms of assessing, personal assessment of your anger. Continue to go over those questions on your personal time and see how you fit in there and how you respond to anger. Okay, let's look at the other passage, verses 23 to 24. This is a good call to the bottom line, verse 97. There is nothing that can be done with anger. I cannot be done there with anger. That's a good that's a good, that's a good advice to take. Okay, page 95. Uh, back to page 95, verses 23 24. Okay. Rather than a person being trapped in a vicious cycle that begins with anger and ends with violence, Jesus offered a better way. He offered a better solution. What was the solution? Solution? Jesus provided realistic 
life-transforming actions that would break the brutal cycle that so many people are caught in today. He used an everyday situation of a worshiper at the altar preparing to make a sacrifice or make or give an offering, in our case. While the situation sounds foreign to Christians today, Jesus' Jewish audiences, audience would have quickly identified and recognized the scenario immediately since the sacrificial system was full of, of swing during Jesus' ministry. It was an everyday occurrence for Jewish worshipers to offer animal or meal offerings as a means of reconciliation with God. That was a normal day-in, day-out occurrence. People would always be in the temple offering a sacrifice uh, of reconciliation toward God. And so if a person was in the process of making the offering and realized that a brother or a sister had a complaint or a grudge against them, Jesus insisted that the person stop and immediately go and make things right with that person. In other words, you don't go and you, you complete your offering process. You stop and you go and you reconcile with that person. And so Jesus maintained the need to make reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ before attempting to seek reconciliation with God. Now some people do it the roundabout way. They forget about how they offended their brother or sister and they want to go to God for reconciliation. God said it doesn't work that way. You go and settle things right with your brother or sister first and then you come to me. Because coming to me is not going to make a hill of beans, it's not going to amount to a hill of beans. It's not going to amount to anything. Your offering will not be accepted. That's the point. And so after making things right with others, only then can we act, then the, can the act of worship continue because that's what the sacrifice was, it's an act of worship. Okay, you cannot worship God if you have a gripe or a grudge or, or an art with another brother. It just doesn't work. Okay, you'll be uh, engaging in a fruitless exercise of worship because it means nothing. And so perhaps this is an extension of Jesus' insistence that mercy is greater than sacrifice. Jesus, Jesus referenced Hosea, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 in both Matthew 9.13 and in chapter 12 and verse 7. Interestingly, Jesus left the situation ambiguous with respect to who was at fault. He said, if you are at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, you must take action. You must take the initiative to be reconciled with your brother. Even when we are not responsible for the conflict, if another person feels wrong or holds a grudge against us, then we are responsible to seek reconciliation as well. In other words, you may have a feeling that this person has something against you. Okay, you may not be fully aware of what the situation or what or what or what gripe they have against you, but you got a feeling. Right? We've been there, right? Person acts different towards you than they normally act. So you know something wrong. Okay? He said that's what the situation is. If you feel that way, if the person is giving you what we call a cold shoulder, you know something wrong, right? He said when you get that, then you know you know you you need to go and make re make reconciliation. Is this something I did to offend you? Did I do you something wrong? Do you something wrong? That's what he's talking about. And so the priority is to be reconciled. You cannot go anywhere in worship with God unless you are reconciled with a brother or sister that did you wrong, no matter how long ago it was. Okay? Restored relationships between believers please God and are signs 
to outsiders, and that's the key, to outsiders, that our faith has transformed us. You can see if that doesn't happen, that's where we get that phrase from Charlie. She's a Christian, I want to be that. Where do you think that come from? Brothers and sisters who cannot get along. A person who got a, who have a gripe against another brother and an unsaved believer that know, knows about it, and they know you ain't doing nothing about it, then they're gonna use that expression against you. Charlie, she's a Christian, I want to be that. Wait, if he go into heaven, I will go. You know, we get those phrases from a lack of reconciliation between individuals in the body of Christ. And so the world is watching. In the context of a restored relationship, there's no room for anger and insults. Since we, we can't control other people's reactions, we can't guarantee that we can come, right, come to right relations with everyone. Okay, that's not a guarantee. But we can diligently try. In other words, you may not be able to resolve the conflict, but you try by going to that person to seek reconciliation. Now that person may be hard, a hard-hearted person, hard to get along with, but you try. If you fail, you try. Okay, God understands that you try uh, to make things right with that person. But the point is, is to try with all due diligence. In other words, the Bible says, seek peace and pursue it. Okay, you chase after it, you run it down. Okay, that's how you get peace. Paul wrote, if possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone, Romans 12, 18. If possible, now sometimes it ain't possible, because some people are hard. They have some hard hearts. But Paul says, if it is possible, Live with peace with everyone. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 98. Oh, someone read that, please. I'm sorry. Those are painful words. They are so painful, in fact, we often qualify them by adding one more little word that changes everything. I'm sorry, but that's not being sorry. As truly the world of self-justification. We say this when we want to make one person to know that. Even though we lash it out in anger or did something wrong, we had a justified reason for our behavior. Anger often leads to conflict. Conflict often leads to a relationship. Being strained to the breaking point and beyond. It's in those moments that we need to remember Jesus made his statement from verse 24, reconciliation, technology, and worship. That's serious. Even more, we are to be proactive in resolving conflict. We should take the first step, even when we aren't the blame for the conflict in the first place. How can we do that? Okay, notice the first, the three things we can do. In response to that, uh, what's the first one? Honesty. All right. Be willing to hear and tell the truth. Don't be tempted to treat this like an airing, like an airing of dirty laundry. You're familiar with that, right? The truth is useful for healing, but it's it's not intended to be used as a hammer to beat the other person over the head. Okay, and people do that all the time. 
That's why people don't like to go into resolving conflicts. The other person got a hammer. And they ain't got nothing. Humility, number two. In most conflicts, both sides have something that need to be need to acknowledge and apologize. In order to do so, you must have a humble heart. Humility will help you forgive with the same grace and mercy God forgave you. And three, security. Security doesn't mean arrogance. It means knowing you are a child of God. When you are secure and confident in your relationship with Jesus, you can apologize. How the person responds to your apology or attempt to reconcile cannot change your secure relationship in Christ. See that? Three points still that we can, we can use to handle conflict. Honesty, humility, and security. Okay, you can underline those. Okay. Let's look at the next question, number three. Okay. We saw that reconciliation requires what? Honesty, humility, and security. Which of those three are most challenging to you when you get in a conflict? That's the question. Probably humility. Probably humility. Okay. For many people, it's humility. Anyone who, other than who have a challenge other than humility? Okay, I think that's a big one. Who trespass against us? That's right. Okay, so humility is the main one. Okay, verses twenty-five, twenty-six, on page ninety-five. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. All right. <laughs> so it says, while you go into the person to. On your way there, you try to think of resolution. You don't go there hot-headed and full of steam. Because when you get there, you know what's going to happen? You're going to explode. Somebody can get hurt. All right? So he says, while you're on the way, try to resolve, think of how you're going to resolve the conflict. Was it Jacob who did that yeah, because he, he anticipated his brother was angry with him for stealing his bread, right? And, uh, and so he said, boy, you know, he can kill me. You know, so he, he divided up his family and he sent the younger ones there and he followed behind, had all the gifts and everything packed up and ready. Uh, but it didn't turn out that way. His brother had already forgiven him. I was really happy to see him. Question number four. What are some concrete principles Jesus taught in this passage? In other words, how do we summarize Jesus' teachings in these verses? The verses we just read. Always be willing and ready to forgive no matter what. Okay, always be willing and ready to forgive no matter what. 
Okay, some people hold on to their, 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 their gripe and they don't want to let go. Okay, so you always be willing, and that's what he's teaching here. On your way there, you try to resolve a conflict in your mind. Always be willing to do that. Okay, next paragraph on page 99. Jesus commanded us not to put off reconciliation. Instead, we had to settle and resolve differences quickly. We see at least two reasons why resolution demands this degree of urgency. One, earlier is easier. The earlier individuals can face and discuss their differences, the easier it is to be able to, to reach resolution. Problems between people don't get better with time, they get worse. We know that from experience, right? The longer you let it linger, the more it's going to brew and fester, just like an old wound. Okay, next one is uh, unity is important. Resolution demands urgency because unity is vitally important among God's people. Just before he was arrested, Jesus prayed for, his, for all his followers, past and present. That is, those who then and us now. One of the resounding themes in this high priestly prayer was unity. John 17. Think about that for a minute. Jesus was only hours away from his death, praying to his father, and unity in the church was on his mind. Why might that be? Unity was on his mind, because he know how all the infighting that was going on among his disciples. You know, mother of one came and said, but, uh, Jesus, when you get to the kingdom, could my two, my two sons sit, one on the right and one on the left? And the other fellow said, well, you, we all crazy, eh? what you all talking about? You know, who you all think you all is? Okay, so there was, there was lack of unity even among the disciples. Okay, so Jesus saw that, and he saw not only that, but there were some other stuff going on that the scriptures probably didn't mention. But he said that these fellas need to be united if they're going to get anywhere. Okay, now notice uh, the last paragraph on page 99. The unity of God's people provides proof of the gospel. The unity of God's people provides proof of the gospel. Now, if you want the gospel to be effective, then you've got to show how united God's people are. Okay? In the church, you find people of all different nationalities, races, backgrounds, and socioeconomic levels. All these people come together under the banner of what? Of who? Jesus Christ. No other organization can unite people who are so completely different. None. Search the world and you'll find none. When we let our differences fester and divide us, the rest of the world questions the effectiveness of the gospel. In other words, you're not practicing what you're preaching. But the unity of the church points to the power of the gospel. So you want the gospel to have power? Then we need to exercise unity in the body of Christ. The point. Take the lead in resolving conflict. Okay, don't wait for somebody else to do it. You take the lead. If you see a conflict going on between either you or somebody else or other brothers and sisters, you take the lead. You be the mediator. You step in. That's the point of the lesson today. Okay, let's look how we can live it out. A couple of points here on how we can live this principle out. On page 100. Anger is an issue of the heart. Amen? The Bible reminds us that the heart is above all things deceitful and right, so anger is a matter of the heart. Consider the following suggestions as you work 
to bring your anger under the rule of Jesus in today, Jesus in the days to come. In other words, from this time forward, how are you going to handle anger? Number one, take control of your anger. Don't let it take control of you. You take control of it. You know what situations are likely to make you angry this week. Prepare your heart and mind to respond appropriately before you ever step into that situation. Okay, in other words, you got a recurring situation. You know some things that you get into that really make you angry. Prepare for that in advance, is what it's saying here. And then say you're sorry. Look for chances to say I'm sorry this week without qualification. Humble yourself before Christ and others and say those two words that can bring healing. I'm sorry, but don't use that word but. Remember that? Don't say I'm sorry, but. Forget the but. Just say I'm sorry. Alright, that's what the point is. And then seek reconciliation. Examine your relationships past and present. Is there someone you still need to seek to reconcile with? If so, don't wait any longer. Seek to honor Christ through the process of reconciliation. You got a problem with somebody that you refuse to deal with? Now is the time to deal with it. That's the point. Okay, as we wrap it up, notice on page 100. Anger is a big deal in today's world. Which is why I pray you let the words of Jesus sink into your heart. Don't put a band-aid on internal hemorrhaging. Look deeper to find the real source of your anger and then reset the fracture so that you can heal. Amen? So we know how to deal with anger now because the Bible just told us today how to deal with it. You got a problem with a person that you've been putting off? The Bible just showed you how to deal with it. The only question is, will you do it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for having all the answers. Thank you for giving us the answers that we need to deal with the situations and circumstances in our lives that fracture our unity and impact the gospel that we're supposed to be making positive to become negative. So we pray, Lord, that we may take this lesson today and apply it to our individual lives so that we would be able to give more power to the gospel rather than making it weak and impotent. Bless us with your benediction as we go to the service to follow. We pray, Lord, that your blessings would be upon all those who will be participating and ministering in song and spoken word, especially your manservant as he brings the word today. We pray, Lord, that you would grant him your anointing from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet and that you would be glorified in all that transpires. For we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.